Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Calling Tau City. Turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm moving, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. I'm pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 585. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Hitting with a heat wave in April. Oh, man, it is cooking and I'm off. I've just spent actually all the the Easter time at work and night shifts as well. So I was kind of, I missed a little bit of it, but now I'm making up for it. So we've still got a bit of sun outside. So I hope you've had a nice holiday, Easter holiday, if that was your thing. So what's coming into today's show? I'll tell you. We have Jerry Lean, What the Rain Brings, which was originally published in A Rustle of Dark Leaves, Tales from the Shadows of the Forest. There we go, and it is the end of the month. We have Mr. J.J. Campanella with his science news. That is all coming to day show. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. So we will jump straight in to the main fiction. And like I say, it is What the Rain Bing- Brings Bings by Jerry Lean. This story, originally published, A Rustle of Dark Leaves, Tales from the Shadows of the Forest, which was 2012. I haven't heard of that but it might be worth looking out for. Jerry Lean lives in Northern Virginia and originally hails from Seattle. In addition to being an avid reader, she's passionate about horse racing, tea and whiskey. And her latest obsession is ASMR vids. Now, I didn't know what that was. And it's to do with sensory videos, you know, like touch and tactile and the noise it creates. Now, I had to look this up. And... (laughs) Maybe it was just the the one video that I looked, but it was someone eating a a peach, I think it was, and oh, 
that's the one of the one things that I, you know, when you, you're sitting and you, you might be here, your son or your daughter or your wife, you know, chomping. It was that. And it was all the kind of noises and it just sends shivers up. So maybe that's not my thing, but Jerry is into that, watching these vids. She has work appearing in Nature, Austin Scott's Cards, Intergalactic Medicine Show, Daily Science Fiction, Cast of Wonders and others. She's edited several anthologies for independent presses, is finishing some longer projects and is a member of the Science Fiction Writers of America and the Horror Writers of America. And there's a link there to Jerry's site. This story is narrated by Andrea Richardson. Andrea is a British singer and actress with extensive stage and film performance to a name. She began narration and voiceover work in 2014, but enjoys using her existing skills in different ways. And you can find her at, and again, there's two links there to Andrea. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present What the Rain Brings by Jerry Lean. I slammed the door shut, closing us off from the drenching rain. It's out there. Wagner was pacing in the shelter with the never-ending energy of someone trying to pretend he was not very, very spooked. Why the hell did Gideon send us here? Nothing's out there but the woods, I said, as I poured fresh water into our cooler. And Gideon sent us here because this planet is what he wants surveyed. Not that he'd tell us that. Carla ran her hand over her close-cropped hair. You're the only one he ever talks to. That's because I'm in charge and he's an elitist. I tried to move past them, but Wagner put his hand on my arm. There's something out there, Melan. Wagner looked over at Carla. Tell her it's out there. Carla stared hard at the door, as if she could see through it if she just looked long enough. Wagner can feel it. He tested high in PSI. I try not to laugh. If Wagner has any PSI ability, then why didn't he give us an inclement weather warning? I can feel it too. Carla said. She was full of feelings, all right. Most of them for Wagner. It was against regs for teammates to have an affair, but that didn't stop them. Not that I was going to report my mission mates. I'd been young once, too. Young and in love with life and adventure and the man in the next bunk. But that had been a long time ago. There's nothing out there. I walked away from the door, away from the rain, which, unexpected as it was, was normal rain healing rain, that would bring precious moisture to the plants, keeping us alive while we were on this planet. It would fill the rain barrel on our roof so that we could take baths again, and make the stream flow strong. The stream that I dipped our container into just a few minutes ago, so we could make pot after pot of tea, to keep us company as we wrote up our survey reports. Or, as I sat doing that, and two hormone-crazed teammates stole away to the back bunk and tried to be quiet as they had sex. The rain was normal. The animals that had gone silent outside our little habitat ever since the downpour started were behaving normally. Birds rarely sang during the rainstorm on Earth, either. I think we brought it with us. Carla looked at me, then at Wagner, who'd been saying the same thing for days, even though he'd packed half our containers himself. Melan, there's something out there. And maybe we let it out? There's nothing out there! I strode back to the door, pushing Carla off as she tried to stop me. Don't! Wagner tried to get to me before I could open the door. I yanked it open and breathed in the damp air. See? Nothing. I shut the door gently. Just rain. 
Even though I'd only had the door open for a few moments, I felt a pang as the outside world was cut off from me. The rich, loamy smell of the forest filled the room, and I wanted to go outside. I wanted to play in the mud the way I had as a kid. I wanted to enjoy myself and not let my two colleagues make me as nervous as they were. I'd been young once, and had gotten the jitters back then, too. But I was the foundation team lead on this project, and Gideon Morales wasn't paying me to surrender to a bad case of the creeps. Get back to work, I said, firmly but gently, the way you talk to a skittish pup. They both just stared at me. I let my tone dip into something less friendly. What part of that was unclear? They went to their workstations, but they looked a long way from happy. So, how are you holding up? Gideon's image was flickering badly, and I tried to boost the signal. Melan? I can hear you, but I can't see you. I fiddled with the dials some more, finally bringing in a decent picture for a moment. Some people would consider that a blessing. Gideon smiled the crooked grin that made the rest of his face go even more cockeyed than it already was. He wasn't ugly, exactly, but his wasn't the kind of face anyone pushed products with. But I liked his looks, or else I'd just grown used to them. You know I don't think that. I glanced up at him from the control panel and saw him grin again. Gideon liked me for reasons known only to himself, because he didn't seem to like his other team chiefs or the line surveyors. Despite what I'd said to Vadna, Gideon wasn't really elitist. He was downright antisocial. In fact, he gave some folks what I'd heard called by the highly technical term of the willies. So, are you holding up? Gideon was messing with something on his desk as he asked, glancing up occasionally to make sure I was still there. I am, but I'm not too sure about the junior league. Sighing, I leaned closer and shifted my voice down a bit. Why did we pick them? Well, actually, we hadn't. He had. They're just young, Gideon replied. They're pains in the ass. My ass, specifically. They're involved, aren't they? I didn't think you'd mind that. You knew? I said. <laughs> Gideon laughed at my expression. I suspected. I'm in charge of surveys for a reason. I used to be in the field, too. I know, you were a legend, and there's not much you miss. And I remember a Miss Melan Louis being linked with a few surveyors who will go unnamed. We've all done it. <laughs> in our youth. You're not that old, Melan. What's really bothering you? I sighed. Oh, this rain is making it harder to work. I thought you liked mud baths. Gideon grinned the teasing way he did whenever I went to one of my spas, or told him about a mud hole I'd made to soak in on a survey. <laughs> for the newbies, not for me. They'll learn, and you can catch up on reports. Rest. It'll stop. The voice of experience? I asked. I've lived in the tropics for years, replied Gideon. The rainy season is just that, a season. This doesn't feel like a season, Gideon. I hated to start sounding like Wagner, but I ploughed on ahead. Despite what I'd said to Carla, there was something that seemed... off. There's something kind of... deliberate about this rain? Deliberate rain? Deliberate rain? Does someone have a weather machine? He was definitely laughing at me. You know what I mean? 
Actually, I don't. Is the rain bothering you? Not bothering precisely. I wasn't bothered. I wanted to go out and play in it. It's appealing. Well, grab an umbrella and go dance in it. Oh, very funny. I glared at him. Shall we get to work? Please, before the deliberate rain cuts our connection. He was laughing again. I ignored him as I transmitted the data we'd gathered so far. He read for a while and then nodded. Good stuff, May. He was the only one who could call me that. I know. It's an incredible planet to survey. I can't believe no one's been here before. Pulling the data stick from the machine, I reattached it to the portable scanner. So I'll talk to you again in a few days? Sounds good. I looked up and saw that he was smiling at me in an oddly tender way. What? I guess I miss you. Every now and then he got sentimental. It always surprised me. Well, someone should miss me. Might as well be you. Winking at him, I cut the connection. Do you believe in ghosts? Carla asked softly as we scrunched through the mud. I don't know. Oh, come on, either you do or you don't. She bent down and collected a specimen of fungus that we hadn't noticed before the rain started. Well, I've never seen a ghost, so I suppose I don't. But I'd hate to rule them out entirely. Scooping up some mud, I ran it through the analyzer. There were some interesting new minerals that had not been present before. Maybe carried by the rain falling to the planet's surface from the atmosphere? Or had they been in the substrata that would not mix with the top layer until they merged in this thick soup that the rain was making? We'd given up on waiting for the rain to stop. I was just glad to be out of the house. You like the rain? Carla pushed her rain hat up a little, watching as I fingered my hair, which was sodden now because I wasn't wearing my hat. You're having fun? Well, doesn't it feel good to you? Well, it's not cold, at least, she replied, moving past me as she walked down what used to be a nice path and was now a mudslide waiting to happen. Be careful! Don't worry! Carla slid a little at the bottom, but managed to stay on her feet. I took one step and lost my footing, landing on my rear and sliding all the way down. I struggled to my feet and brushed the mud off my waterproof pants and then rubbed what I couldn't shake off my palms right back onto them. I didn't worry too much about it. I'd spent my childhood covered in the stuff. <laughs> still liking it? Carla asked with a grin. Even dirty, I'm still your superior officer. I looked back at the small hill. Except in navigating downhill mud courses. We walked in an easy silence for a while. Then I asked her, Is Wagner still upset? He's not upset. He's worried. She shot me a glance, as if wondering how many demerits their nerves were earning them. I kept my expression even. Freaked is more like it. Don't you feel it, Melan? It's... it's creepy here. I noticed she was wearing a cross. Have you been wearing this the whole time? I reached out to touch it, but she pulled away. You'll get mud on it. Looking down, she said softly, my mother gave it to me before I left, said in case I needed a little extra looking after, and lately I felt maybe I do. I remember how it is when you're new to this, I said, being so far from home and at the mercy of a planet we don't completely understand. She looked down and nodded. I think Wagner is transferring his jitters to you. 
I laughed softly, trying to show her I wasn't worried about their relationship. Long-time couples can do that. Long time? She saw my look and said, We've only been together since his mission started. You didn't date while you were assigned to Earth? No. I've never even really talked to him. I saw him in the halls all the time, but I didn't know him at all. Why had Gideon thought they'd been together? Have you ever... She waited, her grin making it clear what she was asking me. With a teammate? Never. I let myself smile. It felt good to let down, to pretend I wasn't the boss and she wasn't my high-strung subordinate. Laughing, she turned and led the way further down the trail. The mud smelled funny back there, she said. I sniffed, and I could smell the mud still on me. It did have a strange odour. Probably the minerals I was reading. Sulphur, maybe? <laughs> You're going to need a bath. What's well, a good thing we have rainwater in that tank, then, isn't it? Casting a glance back, she shook her head. She turned, scanning the woods with eyes that had proven surprisingly sharp in the past. She was especially good with fungus and lichens. What's that? Smiling in an anticipatory way, she left the path, working her way through the mud to what looked like a large mushroom lying half-buried. Have fun, I said, walking on a bit to an interesting bromeliad-type plant. Oh, God! I heard her splashing and then felt a bump against me. What's wrong? It's... a body. Carla turned. Her face had gone ghastly white under her rain hat. And I think it's human! The remains are human, Vardner said as he finished wrapping the body onto a tarp-lined sled. You're kidding! I wish I were. He shoved his scanner under my nose. Grabbing it, I moved it down so I could take in the readings. He was right. The body was human. I'd excavated too many failed settlements to not recognise the combination of elements. Our eyes met. His were triumphant, and more than a little scared. What are the odds? he whispered, before turning to pull the sled up the hill and back to our shelter. Carla hurried to help him, leaving me alone in the rain. I turned, ready to follow, when I saw something buried where he'd had the sled parked. Crouching down, I pulled something metal out of the mud. I held it in the rain, the falling water taking a long time to clean off the mud, but not so long that I couldn't tell what I was holding before it was completely clean. The insignia of the Foundation, of the Surveyor Corps, the kind that would have been on a uniform, or maybe a pack-all. The dark durabronze that had blended in with the mud was dull now, but it had probably been shiny once. Melan, did you find something else? Carla stood at the top of the hill. In my crouched position, I was half hidden by ferns. Yes, I found... Don't tell. You found what? Pocketing the insignia, I pushed myself up. I found that this rain isn't as fun as I thought. Wait up. They didn't need to know about this. It would only panic them more. I climbed easily up the hill, expecting to slip, but the mud seemed harder, more forgiving than it had on the way back down. What was a human doing here, Melan? Carla's expression was cold, as if she thought I knew something that she needed to hear. How would I know? This is uncharted territory. I took a deep breath. Look, it's entirely possible someone found this world and was using it as a base of some kind. 
not just one someone, at least two, this human and whoever killed him. We don't know that anyone killed this person. You think he just fell down in the middle of the forest? Plop, I'm dead. It's possible. Heart attack, stroke, aneurysm, falling coconuts, maybe. We'd joked that the heavy, huge fruits of this world's version of the palm tree could be lethal if it fell on you. And why do you think it was male? She stared ahead, where Wagner tugged the sled along. I don't know. Bigger, denser bones, maybe? Just seemed male to me. I stuck my hand in my pocket, flesh hitting the metal of the insignia. Even if I had been a surveyor, it was still possible that he, I too wanted to call the remains male, had died of entirely natural, if unfortunate, causes. Only, why would a surveyor be here at all? Gideon had said that this planet had never been surveyed. A mission had been planned ten years ago, but the ship had run into a bad radiation storm. The mission had been scrapped when two of the three team members had died during their repair attempt. For some reason, the planet had languished on the backlist of places to survey. I'd have to ask Gideon why the next time I talked to him. Sitting in his office listening to the story, it had seemed entirely reasonable to think that this world could be pushed to the back burner. But now, being here, cataloguing the riches, it seemed odd that no one had been in a rush to return. How much research did you do on this sector? I asked Carla. Not much. I was just glad to have a job. She looked startled, as if she hadn't intended to say that. What do you mean? Well, the last mission I was on, it was to M41 Gamma. I shrugged. There were too many missions, too many teams for me to know them all. It was a dark world. Oh, I hated those. Planets of nightmare, even if there was nothing frightening about the places other than that they never saw the sun. M41 Beta is a gas giant. It blocks Gamma from ever getting light. How long were you there? Apparently too long. Carla looked down, and I noticed she was clenching her fists. I'm okay now, though. All better and back in the saddle, thanks to Lucky Gideon. He hated that nickname. Hated being reminded that he'd survived more than his fair share of missions gone terribly south when his crewmates had not been so fortunate. But some people were like that. They just seemed to weather crises or environments that could send others, like Carla, screaming for the nearest padded room. You're looking at me differently now, aren't you? We all have difficult times. This job, it's hard. I tried to make my smile open, non-judgmental. I could understand why Gideon had selected Carla. As odd as he was, he loved to back the underdog. But why hadn't he told me? As team chief, I had a right to know I was travelling with someone who hadn't always assimilated well to new environments. Yes, this job is hard, but not everyone breaks down. That's what you're thinking, Maylan. Just admit it. You don't know what I'm thinking. I fingered the insignia in my pocket, my fingers tracing the outline of the Foundation's crest and the ancient tools of surveyors. Lines and circles, carved in cold durabronze. Throw it away! I gripped the thing, unsure if I should push it deeper into my pocket, or let it drop on the path and be buried back into the mud. Get rid of it! I ignored the voice. My voice of reason, probably. Or maybe of irrationality. Maybe Carla and Wagner's fears are rubbing off on me. Get rid of the evidence, and there was no way to prove that the Foundation had ever been here. But 
Why would I want to do that? Are you sorry I told you? Carla asked, probably misinterpreting my silence for unease over her confession. No. I wasn't turning cartwheels that she'd told me, but I'd rather know what I was dealing with and find out later. I was a realist. I liked facts, figures, things I could hold on to. Like evidence. I pushed the insignia deeper into my pocket and walked on. He didn't die by natural causes. Vardner peeked into the main room, clutching his scanner tightly. He was killed. How? I got up and followed him into the room where we'd set up our lab. The remains of the man took an entire table. He looked so lost, lying there. An acceptable sacrifice. Gideon said that at times, about mission casualties, acceptable for what was accomplished for the rest of humanity. I hated it when he said that. Was I starting to think like him? Was being a team chief making me hard? How was he killed, Wagner? Trauma to the neck. As in, he fell? Wagner pointed to the spine. The top vertebrae were shattered. The junction where they should have connected to the skull looked... My God! Was his neck... Snapped? Yes, it was. Wagner sat down on a stool and took a deep breath. That's not something that just happens. Maybe it was one of the animals we haven't catalogued yet, Carla said from the doorway. She walked in and seemed to be trying not to look at the body. We're a long way from done on the surveys. She blinked rapidly, and I noticed her hands were shaking. She seemed to know I'd seen it, but she clenched her fists and put them behind her back. It's possible, I said. There are potentially hundreds, if not thousands of species to catalogue here before we're done. Nothing that would do this... Wagner touched the remains, his hands resting on the skull. Something bad happened here. Is there any way to tell who he is? Carla was still not looking at the body. Maybe through dental records? The teeth are still attached. Wagner showed me he already had the scans. I'd like to upload these for a possible match the next time we have connectivity. Of course, I replied. We should go armed from here on out. Carla's voice cut into the silence as Wagner and I stared down at the bones. I mean, if it was an animal, it could still be running wild somewhere. It could smell us. It could track us down. She's right, Wagner glanced at me. The remains are at least seven years old, maybe even older. And wild animals don't often live that long. I understood what he was saying. Then again, most animals did reproduce, and traits were passed on, as were hunting skills. I agree. We go armed. I went to one of the containers and took out the small weapons that would fit into the pouches on our uniform. I handed one to Carla, and then gave her several clips of ammunition. Wagner looked as if he was going to refuse, even though he had backed Carla's idea. I knew he hated guns. You can't go out there unprotected. Carla took the gun from me, jammed it into the pouch on Wagner's uniform, and stowed the ammo in his other pocket. You have to stay safe. Okay... Do you know how to shoot? I asked. Of course. I did have to field qualify. But he looked down. What? I, um... He swallowed hard, then glanced at Carla. I'm not sure I have the will to shoot. 
Meaning? I didn't the last time. Someone got hurt. Badly. Great. I looked at Carla. She was staring at Wagner with something like sympathy. Not everyone can shoot. Well, I should have. I wanted to, but... She took his hand and shook her head, as if there was nothing else to say. And maybe there wasn't. I turned. I'm going out. Carla looked panicky, and I noticed she was fingering her cross. You can't go alone. I'll be fine. We'll be fine. This body has nothing to do with us other than that we had the bad luck to find it. But the insignia, lying heavily in my pocket under the spare ammo, said differently. I was barely a quarter of a mile out from camp, just starting a survey of the area, when I heard the sound of something coming up quick, something big. I pulled out the gun, checked to make sure the safety was off and that the ammo was in. All right, I whispered to whoever it was. Let's see what you're made of. Shoot! I almost did. I wanted to. My hand was shaking as I held my finger to the trigger, just shy of the pressure needed to fire blindly into the trees. Shoot now! I shot. Holy God, woman! No problems with you having the will to shoot! Wagner looked like I'd trimmed about ten years off his life with my fortunately bad shot. Why didn't you yell? My voice was shrill and my heart was beating triple time. We weren't sure it was you. So you came crashing up on something you weren't even sure was your teammate. Where's Carla? She limped into view. Did I shoot you? No, I fell. She was covered in mud. Ugh, oh, this is disgusting. I don't know how you stood it, Melan. It's just wet dirt. You dig in dirt all the time. It smells. She was trying to brush it off, which only succeeded in smearing it more into her skin, her hair and clothes. Get it off me! Varna took her hands, stopping the frantic motion. It's just a little mud. She grabbed for her cross. Oh, it's dirty! It's mud! Varna helped her wipe it off. Good as new. Carla looked down. Listen, we came out to ask you something. Wagner turned to me. I understand why the body is decomposed after all this time. No tissue left after sitting in that soup. But shouldn't there be something left of the guy's clothes? Metal fasteners that don't disintegrate? They might rust, but... If whatever killed the man ate him, then the clothes would have been the first thing to come off. Maybe the metal's scattered all over that area. There was no evidence he was eaten. No gnaw marks on the bones. I frowned. Well, maybe the creature took the clothes with it, like a bird collects things to make a nest. What if... Carla moved closer to us. What if whatever it was wore it out or took it, afraid it to be evidence? I mean, what if it wasn't an animal? What if it was a human? I pushed my hands in my pocket and fingered the insignia. It's possible. He could have been doing anything. Smuggling, maybe? There were plenty of bad guys out here. Not everyone was a peaceful surveyor. But this one was. I knew that. I started to pull the insignia out. I think that this... Don't tell. They'll panic. What? Wagner was watching me intently, 
You think that this... What? I think that this is making us crazy. We'll just have to wait and see if there are any matches to the dentition. I pushed the insignia back down. They'd know soon enough anyway. If the man was one of the Foundation surveyors, they'd be a match to his records. No reason to share the insignia. Only, what difference did it make? I reached in again, digging down past the ammo. Don't! I smelled sulphur coming off the mud on Carla. The odour mingled in a not unpleasant way with the clean, earthy scent of the area I'd been working in. It was the smell I loved best. The smell of dirt and rain, of living things. Why did she think it smelled like death? I let go of the insignia and sank down to the sample I'd been working on. You should get Carla cleaned up. She'll be all right. I looked up at her. She had her mouth set in a tight line, but her eyes held panic. No, I don't think she will be. I don't want to leave you alone. Carla looked up at Wagner. Make her come back with us. As you said, Wagner, I've proven I'm willing to take the shot. I waved them off and went back to work. Keep an eye out, he said. I will. I heard them walking away. Carla's voice held a note of fear, and Wagner was trying to comfort her. It was obviously not just dark worlds that gave her the creeps. But there was nothing here to be afraid of. I worked for a while trying to ignore how sleepy I was. Finally, I lay back in the mud, scrunching as it took me in. I felt the mud sucking my hair in. Mud was good for hair. Not that Carla cared, cropping hers the way she did. Love. Yes, I loved this. I used to do this when I was a kid. It made my father so mad when I'd come in filthy from the mud in the woods behind our house. I'd come in with samples too, ferns and wild lilies that I'd pretend were exotic flora. He'd always make me clean up before I could analyse them. I closed my eyes and let the rain, which had picked up, beat down on me. The mud was so warm, I felt cocooned in it. The rain beat a drum tempo on my face, my chest, my thighs. I felt as if every care I had was being sucked into the mud, as if everything that mattered, that made me who I was, was becoming part of it. The smell of sulphur was all around. I breathed in deeply, felt a pinch at the base of my skull, then nothing but peace. I sighed and it seemed as if my lungs were pushing a mountain of mud up just to take in the air. It felt... elemental. I used to lie in the mud when I'd grown older, dreaming a young woman's dream of a man who would understand this pleasure. Expensive spas charged a month's salary to let you soak in their mineral-rich mud. But it could be free. It could be natural. It could be like this. He comes... I used to dream of making love in the mud, pulling a man down to me, flipping him into the mud, lying on top, watching as the mud covered him too. Watching as the mud drowned him. I opened my eyes with a snap. I wasn't in the mud. I was standing on the trail leading back to the camp, and I heard Carla calling ahead, calling for Wagner. I walked slowly, reaching to the pocket that had the insignia. Carla saw me coming and came running. I got the connection up. I frowned. You talked to Gideon? I didn't want her talking to him. I didn't want her causing unnecessary panic. 
I sent the dental information to records. Oh, do they have an answer? No, they said it could take a while. Did you talk to Gideon? That was suddenly very important. No, have you seen Wagner? He went back for you. I haven't seen him. I put my hand on her shoulder, felt the warmth of her beneath my skin. I could almost taste her. I yanked my hand away. I'm going to look for him, said Carla. I nodded. Don't get lost. Melan, is something wrong? Nothing. In fact, I felt good. I felt strong. Stronger than I had in years. I left her staring at me and walked to the shelter. My stride seemed bouncier, and each step was a revelation. Maybe I should set up shop here once the planet was colonised, charged for rejuvenating mud baths. No others. Not yet. The communications unit sounded. I glanced at it. The dental match had been made. I opened the message up and stared at it for a very long time. Match found. Gideon Morales. The commune it sounded again. A call from a dead man. May, he said as I opened the connection. I stared at Gideon. The same Gideon that supposedly lay on our exam table. Love. It's begun, he said, leaning in. He seemed to be looking into me, deep inside. I've missed you. They know. I wasn't sure why I told him that. I hadn't planned to say it. The words just came out my mouth. How? I could feel it inside me. Something was making me talk. But I knew the answer to this too, and the thing inside me was inviting me to join in, to answer for us both. Wagner sent your dental information. Damn! He was up and gone. I sat waiting as my hands seemed to operate without any instruction from me, erasing things. I was erasing all records of finding the body, erasing the transmission with the dental records, but it would still be there at Gideon's end. And Gideon will take care of it. My hands finally sat quietly again. I could move them, and I did, reaching into the pocket, pulling out the weapon, drawing back the trigger. He loves you. He chose you. Who did? Gideon. Gideon's dead. I saw the report. I was talking to myself. I was talking to a version of myself that was trying to keep me from shooting it in the head, from shooting myself in the head. He's not dead. You know this. Do you feel dead? I will if you'd let me use my goddamn hands. I'm sorry. It was so easy with you. I thought you understood. Understood what? May? Gideon was back. He was breathing hard, looking down as if working feverishly on his computer. Then he exhaled slowly and sat back, smiling. It's all right. There's no record. Not any more. What's going on? I could feel my hands putting the gun back into its pouch. I couldn't stop them, but I could still cry. Don't, May. Just give it time. You aren't him. I'm the only Gideon you've known. I don't understand. You've changed. For the better. I still don't understand. 
Did you dance in the rain? Gideon's smile was tender. More so than I'd ever seen it. I won't be this confusing for long. The fusion, it takes a little time for us to become one with them. Us? Them? You and I. Take her out to sea. That always helps. Gideon seemed to think he was talking to whatever was inside me. I don't want to go back out. But I was rising. My legs, so springy again. God, it felt so good to move this way. Carrying me back out the door and into the woods. Carla was wandering ahead of me. She looked back. I got lost. I told you not to. My voice was even. Nothing of the panic I felt inside was seeping out. She crowded close to me, her gun poking into my thigh. I pulled her close, into a tight hug, and she shivered and began to cry. Even as I tried to open my mouth to warn her, my hand was pulling her gun from out of the pouch, but she was shaking too much to notice. I wanted to warn her as I stashed her gun in my pocket. You won't. You can't. Wagner should be just up ahead. I realised I had said that. I, not something else. Wagner would be up ahead and he would still have his gun. He'd just gotten lost, too. But he would help us. A man, remember. A man to make love to in the mud. A flash of memory. Wagner leaning down to look at something, his hand shaking. I'd come from behind him. How had I gotten there? A man to drown in the mud. It was as if a veil that had hidden my memories from me was pushed away. I saw it all. How I'd pushed him down. How he'd flailed as his head slipped below the mud. He didn't sink too far. He was lying on top of something else. Something made of bone. A perfect skeleton. This time. Only with no uniform. My hand held him down. My hand which had come out of a sleeve, which had been part of the uniform that... That you are wearing. Carla let me go, and I pointed her in the right direction. She hurried, and I set out after her. The spring in my step did not change as I ran. It felt different to move, as if what powered my body was no longer blood and air, as if it was earth and water. Welcome home. I felt thoughts crowding in on me, memories that weren't mine, and something else was reading my own memories. I felt as if I was being torn open. Nothing in my life was my own, and I tasted an existence so foreign I tried to retreat. There is nowhere to go. We are one. I heard Carla scream. That is me. I said to whatever was inside me. What she just found, that is me. There is no we. You are not me. But I saw Gideon's face in my mind and thought of his record. Lucky Gideon. Always a survivor. Which meant there had to be some tragedy, didn't there? On so many of his missions. We get hungry from time to time. I stopped walking, but I knew that it was a joint decision. I felt as if I was being sucked underneath the mud. That had happened once, when I was a child. I thought I'd found a mud hole like any of the others, but it had been deeper and had tried to drag me in. I'd grabbed a bush, pulled myself out, 
but I'd been afraid of the mud for months after that, and I'd taken my father out to the sinkhole. We'd put up signs so that no one else would be lured in. Even my father had said that no one else would be foolish enough to go in. I'd never learned. It's all right. This is better. Gideon waits for us. He has been waiting for us for ten years. I'd barely known Gideon ten years ago. Served on a handful of routine surveys with him. We can always recognize a soulmate. I sensed that it was using my words. It had no soul. It had no understanding of soul. It was trying to make me comfortable with what was happening. We are one. It will be easier if you accept that. I realized Carla was staring at me. Her hand was digging at her empty pouch. She grabbed for the ammo clip, but it was useless with no gun to fire it. She was standing over Wagner's body. And over my body, peeking out from under his. She held out her cross. I don't think that will help. The thing was letting me talk. I walked up to Carla, tore the cross from her neck and tossed it into the mud as she scuttled back. Please, Melan. You went crazy again, I heard my voice saying. No! Gideon picked you for a reason, just as he'd picked a young man who couldn't take the shot. I saw myself holding Wagner under the mud. I saw him reach for his gun. Slide it out, aim it in an awkward way. He could have shot me, but he hadn't. He'd sucked in a mouthful of mud before the resolve he'd needed could fill him. He died, holding that gun, finger hovering over the trigger. Carla fell on Wagner. She was touching his hair, his skin. I barely got away from you when you went crazy again. That's what I'll tell them, I said. Monster! Carla replied. I think so. I think you're right. And this time it was my own words again. I believed that. The thing inside me just laughed. Carla rushed me. I was surprised she'd do that, but not worried. I knocked her away as if she was nothing more than a child. We are hungry now. I heard the words inside my head. I heard the words coming out of my own mouth, and I realised that we'd both spoken. I reached for Carla, drawing her toward me. She beat on me, and I registered some sort of pain. Nothing that would stop me, but an interesting phenomenon. My new life would be full of them. Please! Carla was crying. Her tears smeared makeup, and I pulled her to me. I'm sorry. And again it was both of us who spoke. She was your friend. In your memories. She is mine now, too. And then we were holding her tightly, letting our essence surround her, the mud within what looked like human skin roiling now, bubbling as if at the earth's core, as we sucked her life away. It tasted good. We will not have to feed again for some time. The voice was hazy, as if in some sort of bliss. I wondered if I could kill it in this state. I pulled my gun out and lifted my hand, waiting. I could do it. I knew it. 
I love you. I found that I didn't want to. I let Carla go and shot her as she fell. It was self-defence. Yes, I could say that convincingly. Picking her and Vardner up, I carried them each in one hand, dragging them through the mud back to the shelter. I heard the sucking sounds of the mud, drawing what was left of my old body under. There would be no evidence, or not much, and Gideon would declare the planet off-limits. Too dangerous. I would provide the data he needed. Toxic this and acidic that. No way to live here. No one would come until another of us was ready to be born. Then we'd send the next team in, with a special member. We would have plenty of time to find that person. Carla's life force filled me. I wanted off this world. I wanted Gideon. I dropped the bodies at the entrance of the shelter, walked back in, and saw him waiting, still on the comm. Is everything all right? His eyes shone, and I knew he, they, couldn't wait to see me. To hold me. To hold us. I smiled, knowing he'd read the truth in the way my lips turned up. Everything is fine. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And there you go. Big thank you to Jerry. Jerry, thank you so much. And Andrea, lovely voice. Oh, thank you so much. Indeedy. Ladies, it's been an honour. Thank you. So now it is, yes, come on, the old fella's getting up to the mic there, man, give him time, he takes a while, got to get his, you know, get his silly stiff bones up. Mr. JJ Campanella with his science news. Greetings and jaculatory bibulations, my narcoprotically trilaginous listeners, and welcome to this April 2019 science news update. I'm your host for this improbably draconic science podcast segment 
Jim Campanella. All right. How in the heck is it April already? I just don't get it. I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I'm going to say it again. I Why does it seem like every year goes by faster the older you get? Well, I may have an answer for you. Yes, our first story of the night suggests why time seems to go more swiftly as you age. It is only a theory, but it seems to be a pretty good one. As I mentioned, looking at the date and realizing we're now almost a quarter of the way through the year, when the holidays seem like just last week, can leave you pretty dumbfounded. Where'd all the time go? And why do the days seem so much shorter than they did when we were younger? Well, according to Dr. Adrian Bajan of Duke University, time is not moving faster. The days are not getting shorter. However, uh, as we age, things only seem to be moving faster because our aging brains are obtaining and processing images much slower than when we were young. Bajan says, quote, People are often amazed at how they remember days in their youth that seem to last forever and how those days are now gone. It's not that their experiences were much deeper or more meaningful. It's just that they were being processed in rapid fire, unquote. He suggests that as we grow older, our nerves, our neurons also grow, meaning signals must travel further along those pathways and they take longer to get to where they're going. These pathways are also degrading as we age, so the signals are experiencing more resistance. Those two factors lead to a decreased rate of acquisition and processing of mental images, resulting in the feeling that time is passing more quickly because we cannot view the same volume of images in the same amount of time as we did when we were younger. This is evidence in why babies move their eyes around so frequently. They're processing images much quicker and so move their eyes more frequently to gain more information. Bajan adds, quote, The human mind senses time changing when the perceived images change. The present is different from the past because the mental viewing has changed, not because somebody's clock rings. Days seem to last longer in your youth because the young mind receives more images during one day than the same mind in old age. Unquote. Eesh. Okay, so when I explained all this to my lovely wife, her response was, what? That makes no sense. Your brain is going slower, but time is moving faster? How does that work? It's completely the opposite of what you'd expect. So it took me a minute to come up with a proper explanation. My first explanation had to do with the flash, at which she rolled her eyes and said, seriously? My darling wife can be quite geeky, but when I start to talk about comic book superheroes, she draws the line. Well, this was my explanation. When the Flash is moving at high speed, the whole world slows down around him. Everyone looks like they're moving in slow motion relative to him because he's moving so fast. Not only is he moving fast, but his brain has to work faster in order to keep up with his body, and so again, everything around him is moving so slowly, they may as well be almost frozen. Think about it. The Flash's subjective time has changed and slowed down because he's moving so fast. A day could last a week for him because his movements are so quick. For people around the Flash, the subjective day goes much faster because they are living at a normal slow pace. 
and there's no apparent extension. The Flash is the young kid with their brain racing. Time slows because their brains are working so quickly. Us older folk are like the pedestrians around the Flash, and our brains are moving slower, so the world seems to go by faster. My wife groaned at that, so I asked, What about Quicksilver from the X-Men? Remember the movie Days of Future Past? She did not. And she glared at me for mentioning another superhero. I tried a different track, since I know my wife is a bit of a Trekkie. Wait, what about classic Star Trek, I said. Remember Winkum and I, that episode, where Kirk is kidnapped, drugged, and forced to live at a rate of incredible acceleration? She did remember that. Same thing. Kirk was accelerated to such a high degree of speed that an hour lasted days to him, but not to the crew for whom a day went faster. And there was my breakthrough. So my question is, do drug addicts who are constantly high on stimulants like cocaine or methamphetamine see time as moving more slowly? Is that an artificial way to make life seem more like it did when you were a kid? Maybe, but I doubt it's worth the price of being a coke addict or a meth head. But it is an interesting question. I also wonder whether caffeine addicts like me get our brains to move faster and the day to move a bit slower by imbibing Diet Coke and gallons of coffee. Well, I think I'll write to Dr. Bajan and see if he has a thought about artificial ways to boost neural speed. Next story. For years I've advocated that high fructose corn syrup is bad for you because humans just don't digest it very well. And it does seem to promote obesity. Apparently it's worse than I thought. High fructose corn syrup may be extremely bad for you. How bad, you ask? Well, Dr. Yi Ye Yun of Baylor College Medicine has shown that consuming even a modest amount of high fructose corn syrup, the primary sweetener in most sugar-sweetened beverages, promotes the growth of intestinal tumors in mouse models, independently to any link with obesity and metabolic syndrome. You also identified the mechanism by which fructose can fuel cancer growth, a finding that could feasibly lead to new therapeutic strategies. Yun is the main author of the paper just published in a March volume of the journal Science. Yun says, quote, Our study revealed the surprising result that colorectal cancers utilize high-fructose corn syrup, the major ingredient in most sugary sodas and many other processed foods, as a fuel to increase rates of tumor growth. While many studies have correlated increased rates of colorectal cancer with diet, this study shows a direct molecular mechanism for the correlation between consumption of sugar and colorectal cancer, unquote. Yun continued with, Our findings point to an independent relationship between high-fructose corn syrup and tumor progression. Our results suggest that when animals have an early stage of tumors in the intestines, which can occur in many young adult humans, by chance and without notice, consuming even modest amounts of high-fructose corn syrup in liquid form can boost tumor growth and progression independently of obesity. Our observation might also explain why increased consumption of sweet drinks and other foods with high sugar content during the past 30 years is correlating with an increase in colorectal cancers in 25 to 50-year-olds in the U.S. and other countries, unquote. 
Yun's team concluded that their results demonstrate that high fructose corn syrup contributes to intestinal tumor genesis by accelerating sugar breakdown and the de novo process of making fats, de novo lipogenesis. Quote, high fructose corn syrup in liquid form rapidly increases the levels of fructose and glucose in the intestine and serum respectively, which allows intestinal tumors to take up these sugars for their growth. Avoiding consuming sugary drinks as much as possible should significantly reduce the availability of sugar in the colon and reduce the induction and growth of tumors, unquote. Whew, next story. Dr. David Glansman of the University of California believes that memories that trigger defensive reflexes are encoded in RNA molecules, as opposed to the widely believed hypothesis that they are instead encoded in connections within the brain. Both hypotheses have been suggested for decades. Glasman claims to have chemically isolated the simplest memory a snail can form and transferred it via an injection from one snail to another snail. In order to check this hypothesis, his team initiated a number of electric shocks in sea snails via a wire that had been implanted in their tails. When the snails were then physically prodded with a wire in the aftermath of the shock, their gills contracted, which Glansman compared to a person being jumpy after experiencing an earthquake. The memory of the event induces an involuntary reflex to loud sounds. RNA was then extracted from the shocked snails and injected into other snails. It was discovered that the injected snails also experienced the same sensitization. When the experiment was repeated with control snails that had wires implanted but were not shocked, the transfer of behavior did not occur. Glasman believes this is evidence of a transfer of memory between the snails, and that these are held in RNA rather than, again, that connectivity between brain cells. Glasman says, quote, what we are talking about are very specific kinds of memories, not the sort that says what happened to me on my fifth birthday or who is president of the United States, unquote. His work has been met with skepticism. Well, a lot of skepticism, including mine. Not only do I think that snail brains are not anything like human brains, don't believe that information can be transferred from brain to brain in as simple a manner as RNA injection. Yeah, I think they have discovered something, and it's interesting, but I'm not really sure it's what they think it is. It could be hormonal, for example. Glansman is injecting a soup of stuff into that second snail. He could be hitting it on some sort of uncharacterized behavioral switch. Mind you, I mean, the work is cool and imaginative. I'm just not convinced. Onward and upward... More than 50 non-native species have now found their way to the Galapagos Islands, the very isolated Galapagos Islands. And this is almost 10 times more than scientists previously thought. This new report came out in the journal March 28th, uh, in the journal Aquatic Invasions. The study, a joint effort of the Smithsonian Environmental Research Center, Williams College and the Charles Darwin Foundation documents 53 species of introduced marine animals in this UNESCO World Heritage Site. 
one of the largest marine protected areas on Earth. Before the study came out, scientists knew about only five of these species. The lead author on the paper, Dr. James Carleton, says, quote, This increase in alien species is a stunning discovery, especially since only a small fraction of the Galapagos Islands was examined in the initial study. This is the greatest reported increase in the recognition of alien species for any tropical marine region in the world, unquote. The Galapagos lie in the equatorial Pacific, about 600 miles west of Ecuador. They were made famous by Charles Darwin when he visited there in 1835. The islands have been long recognized for their remarkable biodiversity, and part of that is because of their isolation. But with their fame, that isolation has gone down and traffic has spiked. In 1938, just over 700 people lived in the Galapagos. Today, more than 25,000 live on the islands, and nearly a quarter million tourists visit every year. Carlton began his study back in 2015 on two of the larger Galapagos islands, Santa Cruz and Baltra, where he hung settlement plates from docks one meter underwater to see what species would grow on them. He also collected samples from mangrove roots, floating docks, and other debris, and scoured the literature for previous records of marine species on the islands. His team documented 48 additional non-native species in the Galapagos. 30 of them were new discoveries that could have survived on the islands for decades under the radar. Another 17 were species scientists already knew lived on the Galapagos, but previously thought were native. Sea squirts, marine worms, and moss animals called bryozoans made up the majority of the non-native species. And it's likely that almost all the non-natives arrived inadvertently in shifts from tropical seas around the world. To reduce future invasions, the Galapagos already have one of the most stringent biosecurity programs in the world. International vessels entering the Galapagos Marine Reserve may anchor at only one of the main ports where divers inspect the vessels. If the diver finds any non-native species, the vessel is requested to leave and have its hull cleaned before returning for a second inspection. Next story. So, my family cat, Cammy, is your typical 10-year-old cat. She sleeps most of the time, watches out a window into our backyard for any invading cat part of the time, and demands to be fed the rest of the time. Oh, and she's a pretty good mouser, too. She's tracked down and terminated at least three mice in her house with extreme prejudice the last few years. She does not respond to her name, but will respond to me when I make a high-pitched, whistling, squealing noise when I try to call her over. This is the noise. Which I've been told sounds like a mouse. At this point, you're asking yourself, uh, another tangent? Dude, what does this have to do with anything? Be patient, kind listeners. In the April 4th issue of the journal Science Reports, Dr. Atsuko Saito of the University of Tokyo suggests that domestic cats appear to recognize the familiar sound of their own names and can distinguish them from other words. While dog responses to human behavior and speech have received much attention, researchers are just scratching the surface of human-cat interactions. 
Research has shown that domestic cats appear to respond to human facial expressions and can distinguish between different human voices. But can cats recognize their own names? Sato says, quote, I think many cat owners feel that cats know their names or the word food, but until now there was no scientific evidence to back that up, unquote. So Saito and her colleagues pounced on that research question. They asked cat owners to say four nouns of similar length, followed by the cat's name. Cats gradually lost interest with each noun, but then reacted strongly to their names, moving their ears, head, or tail, shifting their hind paw position, or, of course, meowing. The results held up that cats living alone with other cats and at a cat cafe, yes, they have cat cafes in Tokyo, where owners can hang out with cats. And when someone other than the owner said the names, the cats still responded to their names more than to other nouns. One finding did give the team pause. Cat cafe cats almost always reacted to their names and those of other cats living there at the cafe. House cats did so much less frequently. Lots of humans visit cat cafes in Tokyo, and cats' names are frequently called together, so it may be harder for cats to associate their own names with positive reinforcement in those environments. That's what Saito writes in the paper. As for whether or not a cat understands what a name is, well, only the cat knows that. I have my strong doubts about this entire study. My cat has never responded to her name as far as I can tell, and only to that high-pitched noise that I make. So once again, skeptical, skeptical here. Okay. Onward and upward. Finally, we have more than just a Denisovan finger. Wahoo! Dr. Vince Viola reported at the American Association of Physical Anthropologists on March 28th that he has discovered in two pieces in Siberia's Denisova cave, the first Denisovan skull from these mysterious extinct hominids. Mitochondrial DNA extracted from this skull pegged it as absolutely being Denisovan. Apparently, Viola's presentation was one of several at the meeting that raised new questions about these Neanderthal relatives, including how recently they existed. Previously, they were known only from minimal discoveries in the Denisova cave. Back in 2009, a tiny part of a finger bone yielded Denisovan DNA that proved crucial to identifying that Stone Age population for the first time. Sediment analyses indicate that Denisovans periodically inhabited the Denisova cave from around 300,000 to 50,000 years ago, with Neanderthals reaching the cave after around 200,000 years ago. But little else is known about the Denisovans' evolutionary history, or their identity for that matter. It's long been unclear, for example, if Denisovans belong to a distinct human species, and most researchers say that the new evidence is still not enough to resolve that mystery. Viola, from the University of Toronto, compared a digital reconstruction of the skull with corresponding parts of 112 present-day human skulls and 30 Stone Age skulls, including Homo sapiens and Neanderthals. The Denisovan find didn't fit neatly into any previously known human species. 
Some features linked the Denisovan fossils to Neanderthals and to a 430,000-year-old Spanish homo species that had Denisovan ancestry. The Denisovan skull fragment is apparently surprisingly thick, more like the cranial bones of the Stone Age Homo erectus. Viola says that we may not be looking at a purebred Denisovan skull. Quote, interbreeding of closely related populations such as Denisovans, Neanderthals, and Homo sapiens generates novel skeletal features and can obscure what started out as, say, a distinctive Denisovan look, unquote. Dr. Murray Cox of Massey University in New Zealand also reported at the same meeting that at least three separate Denisovan populations interbred with ancient human populations. Remnants of two of those populations appear in modern Aboriginal groups in Papua New Guinea. People in Papua New Guinea interbred with one genetically distinct Denisovan population around 46,000 years ago. The scientists estimate that people on Papua New Guinea interbred with one genetically distinct Denisovan population around 46,000 years ago. Interbreeding with a second line of Denisovans took place by about 30,000 years ago and possibly as recently as 15,000 years ago. If his study proves to be true, then Cox says, quote, Denisovans were the last surviving hominids who were not Homo sapiens. Those last survivors likely inhabited Papua New Guinea or a nearby island, unquote. For molecular sides of interbreeding with Denisovans, Cox probed about 3,000 DNA samples obtained from around 100 communities on Papua New Guinea and other Southeast Asian islands. The new DNA analysis suggests that some now living on Papua New Guinea and nearby islands carried roughly 400 Denisovan genes involved in immunity and dietary function. Denisovan DNA, previously identified in present-day Siberians, East Asians, and Native Americans, does not occur in island Southeast Asia and thus represents a third Denisovan line. Well, although Denisovans are really important, when 23andMe starts to test not just for Neanderthal DNA in your genome, but for Denisovan DNA as well. Okay, the final story of the night. I pretty consistently talk about exoplanets and their discovery on the podcast. This next story is along those lines, but the planet that was discovered was quite different from any of the others previously known. When most planet-hosting stars run out of hydrogen fuel, they blow off their outer shells of gas, obliterating anything within their inner solar systems and leaving behind a dead star called a white dwarf. Planets orbiting farther out can survive this initial cataclysm, but if those planets move closer, they get ripped apart or even gobbled up by the dead star's intense gravity. The April 5th issue of the journal Science reports the rare discovery of an intact planetesimal, as it's called, still orbiting close to the white dwarf SDSSJ1228. 1040, and it could offer insight into the fate of solar systems like our own and the chemical makeup of planets. The study was led by Dr. Christopher Manzer at the University of Warwick. He used the Gran Telescopio Canarias in Spain's Canary Islands to peer at the debris disk surrounding the white dwarf over two nights back in spring of 2017 
and then three nights last year in spring of 2018. The observations of the dead star, about 400 light-years away, revealed a slight brightening and dimming of certain wavelengths of light in the disk every two hours or so. That indicated the presence of a comet-like tail of calcium gas trailing a planetesimal as it whipped around its star. Manzer says, quote, The gaseous jet stream may be generated by the white dwarf's radiation blasting calcium off the planetesimal or by the planetesimal vaporizing calcium dust as it plows through surrounding rubble. This hardy chunk of rock hugs its star extremely closely, orbiting almost 300 times closer than Earth orbits the Sun. Since it is able to survive the intense gravity without being shredded, the planetesimal is probably a dense, iron-rich object just a few hundred kilometers across, possibly the core of a planet whose outer layers had been stripped away, unquote. Studying this relic and other bits of planetary matter around white dwarfs could help astronomers better understand the composition of planets, something that's hard to do even here on Earth, because you can't simply dig down hundreds or thousands of miles down to the core. Not easy to do. Well, that's all for me for now. Slow your day down with caffeine. Avoid high-fructose corn syrup, if only to stay thin. Keep talking to your cat, even if she doesn't know her name. Keep watching the skies, and I hope I've inspired some of you. Until next time, this is Jim Campanella. Jim, sir, always a pleasure, as I say, always a pleasure, lad. Thank you so much. There you go, then. That is the show tucked up and put to bed. What number was it? It was 585. <laughs> oh, man. If you want us to keep going, listen, I know I'm banging on. It has been very difficult over these last, I'd say, three months. Some huge kind of Patreons dropped out. And it's just nasty, man, to be honest. So if you can, come over. If you want to just do one-off donations, PayPal, if that's your thing, go to the front of the website or come over. Actually, it's on the front of the website as well for Patreon and look up for District of Wonders. It is, please, it's an honour if you can kind of come over and support her. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. Take good care. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. I don't get out much. I've barely left the ground. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm hooning, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. Pointing them to the moon But the work is going slowly Won't get to you anytime soon Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio I want to talk to you This signal's going light speed By the time I get my say I might already be on to you and on my way But you're so far from here And at best I'm moving slow So I'm waiting on your call at home with nowhere to go 
signal getting through Turn on your radio I want to talk to you I want to talk to you Myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.